most leaders are, are schooled and brought up in the, the entire area of strategy and business and determining what's our vision of the future and how do we get there. What they're not so adept at is how do we create behavioral change within our organization so that people do the things we need to have them do voluntarily rather than us standing over their shoulder and demanding specific actions over time. Welcome to the Portage County Safety Council podcast. We hope you enjoy today's featured message. All right, welcome everyone to the Portage County Safety Council podcast. I am Nick Koya with the Portage County Safety Council and the Ohio Bureau of Workers' Compensation. And we are recording another one of our highlights for Ohio Safety Congress and Expo. Mike Thompson and I had the opportunity to look at all the speakers that will be presenting March 8th through the 10th in Columbus, Ohio at Ohio Safety and Congress and Expo 2023. And we selected what we believe will be some of the best speakers at that convention and invited them on the podcast so we could interview them, learn a little bit more about them and get you excited for attending Ohio Safety Congress and Expo. So with that said, I want to uh, introduce our guest today, Mike Evans. And he's going to be speaking on the topic of Thrive in the Age of Disruption, Cultivate Peak Performance. Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me, Nick. And Mike, I appreciate it. Hey, you know, I'm really excited about this topic. I've read some of your bullet points here and seen some of the information. And this is just right up my alley. But before we dig into that, tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, how you got to where you are today. Well, for the past 25 years or so, I've been working with clients around the world in the areas of change, culture employee engagement, disruption, accountability, and helping organizations address safety issues. I uh, had a long 18-month project once with BP Alaska up on the North Slope because they were in jeopardy of being shut down by the UK, their parent company, because the accidents were at an all-time high and they weren't doing enough to address them and lower the scores. So I spent a lot of time with uh, BP helping them get their numbers to where they are now uh, producing the best results throughout the world for BP oil. You know, that's amazing. And you know, I think oftentimes safety professionals, we get in this loop of we got to write these policies, we got to do these trainings, we have these checkboxes, and we miss the big picture, which is culture. What does your culture look like? Because, you know, if your culture isn't strong, you're never going to really enforce change. It just becomes being the safety cop running around every day, not having positive results on, on the changes of safety and health. So culture becomes a big piece of that. And so I'm, I'm excited to hear another presenter talking about culture and people because that is the root of safety and health. Oftentimes, we don't look at our culture deeply enough. We would describe, or in fact, I would describe culture in its simplest terms. It's just a byproduct of how our people think, act, and behave. So the way that our employees think, act, and behave is producing whatever results you're, you're achieving today. Whether you're a team of five, 50, 5,000, or 50,000, the culmination in how all of those folks think, act, and behave produces your results, your financials, your operational results, your employee results, your customer results. So we need to look at what are the safety results that we're achieving right now, and is it a, what's it a result of what's impacting those, and how can we address those? What we have found, what I've found in doing a lot of work with clients that want to improve safety numbers is, uh, for example, the organization that I mentioned had a seven-year focus on uh, addressing the high 
incident reports and incidents that were being reported, and they were doing everything they thought they could to address those numbers and lower them and decrease them. But everything they were doing was not behavioral based. It was all about you know more signage and more processes and more systems. And everything they did for seven years had next to no impact at all upon the organization. They realized that if we're going to address this, we need employees at every level to have this moment of self-discovery about what is it that I'm doing on a daily basis? How am I acting? How am I behaving? What am I accepting? How do I role model? And that's really where we're getting into get, having each individual look at how they participate and how they impact the corporate culture. Again, the way we think, act, and behave is the culture. And if we're producing uh, safety numbers that we're not happy with or that we simply have to improve upon, well, then we need to look at some of the ways we think, act, and behave and to create shifts. You know, it's the old Einstein's quote that if we keep doing the same thing over and over and over, we're going to continue to get the same result. So what is it that we need to change and how do we go about doing that? So people self-select in. And that's a big issue when it comes to leading large-scale transformational change like we did up in Alaska. How do we get individuals to voluntarily tap in and say, yes, I want to do that. I want to be part of it. It's going to make my job easier. It's going to help my colleagues. It's going to help my family. It's going to help the community. It's going to help all of our constituents. And they self-select in rather than being told they have to change. And telling somebody they have to change is not a very successful way in order to produce long-term lasting change. I mean, if you're married, you know that. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and when you're trying to get a 1,000 or 10,000 people to change their behavior voluntarily, it's a difficult task. Most leaders are, are schooled and brought up in the, the entire area of strategy and business and determining what's our vision of the future and how do we get there. What they're not so adept at is how do we create behavioral change within our organization so that people do the things we need to have them do voluntarily rather than us standing over their shoulder and demanding specific actions over time. You know, and that really comes down to strong leadership. And that's one of your, your objectives here at your presentation is, you know, what it takes to lead. And oftentimes strong leadership is going to step back, look at behavior and try to find ways to modify behavior and find ways that we can work with people and lead them to where they really need to be. It's not just saying this is, you know, we're going to change this process. Well, there's a lot more to it. And I see that too when we look at injury trends. All too often, and I'm sure you've seen it in the field, well, the employee wasn't paying attention or the employee wasn't doing this. And we never dissect that to say, well, what else really led to that? What did management do? What did the environment do? What are all these other contributing factors? And true leadership is standing back and willing to accept some of those changes, even accepting some of that responsibility personally. And that's difficult, but that's a piece that you're going to cover of what it really takes to lead people. Truly, it does. Um, yeah, we just kind of touched on how we think, act, and behave produces our results. That's our culture. But if you think of those results, if you think of a pyramid, the top of the pyramid or the results you're achieving, the results are a byproduct of the actions people choose to take. So are they taking the actions that we want them to take? Or what we have found too often is we're attempting to enforce compliance around policies and procedures that we know might make us safer, but when you enforce, when you're trying to tell people they have to change, you're enforcing policies around procedure and the way we do things around here. 
when you're not standing over somebody's shoulder telling them they have to change and do it your way, they'll always revert back to their own personal beliefs, which the beliefs we all hold dictate the actions we choose to take personally and professionally. And the actions we choose to take produce our results. Same thing in the business world. So the way that folks accumulate their basket full of beliefs that they operate on a daily basis when you're in an organization or a corporation is based upon what you see everybody else doing. You want to be part of the group, part of the culture. So what's accepted? You look around to see what do people accept? What do they tolerate? How do they role model? What are the behaviors they're exhibiting? Which then for everybody else in the organization begins to build in their mind what the culture is and how I should fit in here. So we have to get to the point where we re-examine all of that. For example, you just talked about some of the safety issues that might occur within an organization. And we might look at systems or processes or person, people that did something wrong or misbehaved or did uh, went against a specific policy or procedure. I mean, we look at five kind of five levels when it comes to safety and that what you've described, we would call it the pathological level, which kind of uh, folks might have the mindset, hey, I don't care if I'm not going line by line with the standard or the process. As long as I don't get caught, it's no big deal. And as you move up the ladder, you move to the reactive mode, which is, hey, safety is important and we always do something about it after the fact. If there's an accident, we'll address it. Maybe put a new policy in place, another policy that maybe people might adhere to, but most often we found that they continue going about work as usual. And then the next level is what we call calculative, where people have systems in place to manage all of the, the hazards and things that can potentially go wrong. And you know, there's some organizations that have uh, rooms full of binders and processes and procedures, and they're all well-intended. But do they get to the individual and does that individual self-select in that, yes, I see there's a need for me to behave, to behave differently and create some shifts in the way I go about doing what I'm doing and how my team operates. And that's a hit or miss. And then as you move up a little bit further to the proactive, it's, you know, we're constantly working to try to make things safe, safer around here. It's not after the fact, but we're taking preventative measures. And finally, what where we want to get every organization to, it, it's kind of generative. It's just how we do business around here. The safety manifests in the way that everybody goes about doing what they do. You know, in some organizations, it's simple things, uh, something as simple as, are you willing to have a conversation with somebody when you see themselves putting themselves or somebody else at risk? Are you willing to have that conversation? And if not, why? And if you're not prepared to do that, well, then we need to work on that and equip people. Because you know, the experience that I've seen in working with uh, some manufacturing organizations and industrial organizations, chemical plants, oil and refinery um, uh, plants, is that some of the folks within the organizations, extremely hard workers, want to do the right thing. Sometimes they not may not be equipped with some of the soft skills that are needed to have a conversation with somebody that may be putting themselves or others in danger. So how do we do that? And when people have a comfort level around doing that, they're much more apt to go ahead and have those conversations. Does that make sense? 
No, it does. And I, you know, I think the, the piece that's challenging for a lot of companies and, and safety people is that we want those, that final outcome that you talked about, right? We want it today, not six months from now. We're always looking for how do we accelerate that process? How do we get to where we want to be? And, and, and if we don't have a set plan for it and we try this trial and error approach, then often we have more setbacks because of that. So, you know, talk a little bit about that. How do you get companies to get where they need to be in the most efficient time span possible? The first and foremost is an effort to transform an organization to have significant impact on improving their safety numbers has to involve senior leadership. It's not something you can mandate to HR, although you want them involved, or to somebody else to go do some training and let's hope it sticks and everybody changes their behavior. That just won't work. Senior leadership needs to be involved intimately. They need to be part of the process, but they also need to paint a crystal clear vision of the future and the opportunities that exist if we achieve the numbers or the outcomes that we're looking to accomplish. And think about any great leader or any leader that you may have worked for in your professional career, somebody that you would choose to voluntarily follow that leader. Generally, those leaders are very good at painting a crystal clear vision of the future and what's possible and the opportunities and what's in it for everybody in the organization. And that's really the starting point. We need to make sure that everybody can see what's in it for them in the future if we accomplish these specific outcomes and objectives. Safety absolutely is going to be one of them. There's financial results we have to hit. There's operational results we have to hit. Customer results. There's employee results. But we have to create that crystal clear vision of the future. And when you can do that and people can see themselves in a better place in the future, it becomes very difficult for people to act incongruent with how they see themselves in the future. So they then begin to tap into what I would call their everybody comes to work every day with an amount of performance that they can give to the organization. There's a discretionary amount of performance that people can tap into when they get truly engaged. And great leaders are, are very good at getting folks engaged. So that's where it needs to start, but they also need to participate. And the other thing that we have found, and you'll see this in most organizations, kind of matches up with some of the Gallup information as well, is in most organizations, on average, if you think of a bell-shaped curve and three sections of the bell, 20% of your employees, we would term as nevers. They're just never. They're never going to buy into anything. These are the folks that feel entitled. These are the folks that uh, are the cynics, the complainers. They have the bad attitudes. They bring people down. Then you have 60% on average in any given organization, no matter how large you are, that we would say are the maybes. They're kind of on the fence. They can go either way. And you have 20% who we would call your role models. That's the group that will walk on broken glass for you. One thing that we have found that happens too often within organizations is that managers, supervisors, and leaders tend to try to get those in the never category, the 20% and the nevers, trying to get them to come along and do what's necessary. And our advice has been don't waste a brain cell on that 20%. They're called the nevers for a reason. They will never, ever, 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 ever change. And you do more damage to your culture by allowing your models and those on the fence to observe you spending time with all of the nevers. It can actually uh, be disruptive to your culture. 
So all of the opportunity is with those that are on the fence. You want to leverage what your models, your role models are doing, but you want to make certain that you're not allowing the 60% on the fence to move back into the never category and that they choose to become part of the effort. And that all does begin with leadership being involved, having a crystal clear vision of the future and making sure people see the business case as to why. When you can do that as a leader, you're, you will be astonished with how many people self-select in, go above and beyond what's required, what their job description is, in order to help you achieve that outcome. And in some organizations, like I said, something as simple as having a, an intervening conversation can be very, for some, it can, it can be a very stressful experience because they don't feel they're equipped to do it. So you'll have people that will want to help you create and accomplish your outcome and the safety culture, but we also need to make sure that they're all skilled and equipped and know how to go about doing it in a manner that's well-received, positive, upbeat, and forward-looking. And Mike Thompson and I have talked about this before. We've actually done some podcasts on it. We call it the diffusion of innovation model, where we talk about laggards and leaders and, and those disbursement percentages and how we can be so much more successful if we focus in on those leaders first, get them to buy into our concepts and start to change our culture, and then work our way down. Because all too often, like you said, we focus in on the nevers, and we just bang our head on the wall, continually going after them, and it, it doesn't change, and everybody else gets frustrated, so they give up, where if we can just say, hey, here's your, you're my innovator, you're my top 10%, I'm going to come to you with the change first, try it, test it, tell me what's good or bad, because they're not going to give up on it. And then we work our way back to what you call, you know, the maybes, and they start to see that change. So they're more likely to move. And, and I think, unfortunately, it's just not a practice that is often thought about as safety professionals. You know, we just we go to that negative person. You're not wearing your safety glasses. So I'm going to you every single time where if we change our focus and we start to focus in on those that are the changers, right, the innovators, the the what you call the role models and then work our way back to the maybes, I think we have so much more success. And it's just a mindset change that sometimes we don't think about. Yeah, it truly is. And especially in today, you know, that part of the title of the session we'll be doing uh, next month is it's uh, how to thrive in the world of disruption. I mean, change is here to stay. It used to be change was episodic. It was a once, a once in a while occurrence. And over the past couple of decades, change is just constant. And the white waters of change are not going to calm anytime soon. In fact, they're going to get more turbulent with the advent of an exponential change within technology and other things. And we need to have uh, the ability to, to build resilience and agility, accountability and ownership within our organizations to achieve what matters most. And we need to do that at every level. We don't want people coming into work every day just focused on activity. Activity in and of itself will not necessarily produce your desired results. There can people, and a lot of people, by the way, uh, spend an entire career just being busy, 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 but they look back and you know never really accomplished much at all. We've got to get crystal clear on the results we need to achieve as an organization. Great leaders will do this. They'll make sure that in addition to the whirlwind of activities, everything we do on a daily basis, we I refer to that as the whirlwind. There's a lot that we do in organizations every single day to keep the thing, keep everything humming, to keep the organization running. But in addition to that, in order to grow, there's always going to be two or three 
really important objectives or outcomes or results that we have to achieve in order to keep our market share, to capture new markets or whatever it might be. And we want to ensure that people come to work every day focused on what are the most important things we need to accomplish and what can I do today to help move the needle in the right direction, not simply being busy all day. Again, you, know, you can be busy all day shoveling water, but it's not going to accomplish anything for the organization. How do we create a daily mindset focus throughout the entire culture on here's the top two or three things we have to achieve in addition to that whirlwind where we keep the organization humming? You know, uh, the other thing that, that we found is if you think back into the, way back in the 30s, we had the beginning of kind of the industrial age of safety. It was all based around natural instincts. You know, just think about what's safe and what may not be safe. And we still had a lot of accidents back in that time. And then as we moved through the decades and got into the 80s, there was a big, big movement around quality and safety. And we, uh, that was like in the eight, from 85 on, management systems were put in place, new processes. There were a lot of books written about that. In fact, one of my mentors, Tom Peters, who wrote the, the book, uh, In Search of Excellence was a big part of that movement, quality and service. And, but still that took a lot of supervision. Because you may have had processes and systems in place, but we needed supervisors to enforce it. And then anytime you have to enforce a policy or procedure, you're going to have an issue because people will do what you're telling them to do when you're standing over their shoulder enforcing compliance, especially if you're the boss. But when you're not around, they will always revert back to their own driving belief. In this instance, just as, just for example, let's assume there's a portion of your uh, workforce that believes we're already safe. We have a safe environment. If that's their belief, they're not going to change, even if you need better safety numbers, because they already believe we're safe. And getting somebody ch to shift their belief is one of the most difficult things you can do as a leader. And you can't force it. It needs to be a decision that an individual makes. And then into like the 2015 time or so, uh, around that time, it became, well, how can we create safety culture initiatives? And that was usually focused on individual levels, getting individuals to think about the contributions they make to the culture based upon their behaviors and the activities that they're choosing to take. And then finally, it was realized that to really produce a long-term, lasting, sustained, safe environment, you have to get it down to the team level. So it's not just an individual looking out for themselves, it's teams looking out for one another. And when you can get to that point where everybody on the team is looking to protect and keep everybody on the team safe that you really start to see the number, the, the safety numbers improve significantly. So we're out there looking uh, for opportunities to help our team. It's about how do I energize others to do the right thing? How do I role model and how do I build capability in others? If somebody I work with isn't quite sure how to have a intervening conversation, 20, 30 second intervening conversation, how can I equip them with some simple phrases and uh, some words to use? Because they know it's the right thing to do. They want to do it, but they feel that they're blocked or can't do it because they're not exactly sure how to go about doing it. You know, this is so much great information and I'm really excited about your session. I think this is something, you know, safety leaders, CEOs, everybody needs to be in your session. There's just so much here. It's what's going to help Ohio uh, and even bordering states to become safer, better organizations, Mike. 
as we get ready to head down to Columbus here in a couple of weeks for the Safety Congress and Expo, what's your call to action? What would you say, here's the one thing I want you as a listener to do to start to make some positive change in your organization? The first thing I would suggest is, especially if you're a leader or manager or supervisor with any organization that will be attending, is, is look inwardly first. What are you doing? How are you, how are you leading safety within your organization? You know, we tend to externalize change. Most human beings tend to externalize change. Uh, we believe we're doing really well. And as soon as everybody else gets their act together, man, we'll be great. We need to internalize change. What are you doing as an individual? And you don't necessarily, you know, I, we would say that everybody should consider themselves a leader. Every individual, no matter what level you're at, can embrace the five practices of exemplary leadership and display it on a daily basis. So we need to look at ourselves. What are we doing? We're being watched all the time. What actions are you taking as a manager, supervisor, or leader that might be sending the wrong message to the rest of the organization? And on the other hand, what are you doing that is sending the appropriate message and getting people to self-select in and do what you want them to do and create the shifts you want them to create? So the first thing I would suggest is look internally before you go to the conference. Uh, think about what you've done as a manager, supervisor, leader, or individual contributor. What have you done to role model? What have you done to build capability in others? What have you done to energize the team? And if you have work to do in any of those three areas, keep that in mind. And then I would consider when I look at my team, whether you're, again, manager, supervisor, or leader, no matter how many people you lead, for your group, whether it's a group of 10, 20, 100, or 1,000, if you could create two or three shifts in the way that your people think, act, and behave, the way they go about their work, just two or three shifts that you know, if we move from this to this, it would have a significant and positive impact on our ability to create better numbers. I'd start to consider what are those shifts. And then after the conference, after you have the opportunity to learn quite a bit and uh, receive some new thinking, some principles and methodologies, then you can put into play, go back, say, here's the shifts I want to create. Now I have the skills and competencies and tools that I can get back to our place and begin to create those shifts. It won't happen overnight, but it's certainly going to happen a lot quicker than organizations that we see that think, um, well, let's just put up another sign outside that, say, that says safety first, because that will fix everything. No, that's that's just a ridiculous notion. You know, thank you so much, uh, Mike, for being on here with us. Like I said, I'm really excited about your presentation, but, and I know some of our listeners are going to be excited. Maybe have questions before then. What's the best way to get a hold of you? Website, email address, um, if people want to know more about you. Yeah, happy to chat with anybody and send information. We have, and by the way, even steal some of our stuff that's on our website, some videos and some topic papers that address a lot of this. So the, the website is www.real, R-E-A-L, Mike Evans, M-I-K-E-E-V-A-N-S.com. And you can reach me at Mike at realmikeevans.com and feel free to call 412-616. 6115. Happy to chat anytime. All right. Once again, thank you, Mike, so much for being on with us today. I will definitely be checking out your show. Uh, hopefully, maybe I'll get to see you down there for a little bit and chat with you some more. This is right up my alley about leadership change. And to our listeners, I hope everyone we see you at Ohio Safety Congress, be safe out there and have a great day. Hosted annually by the Ohio BWC, the Ohio Safety Congress and Expo is the largest free workplace safety event in the United States. 
This year's event will be live and in person on March 8th through the 10th, 2023 at the Greater Columbus Convention Center in Columbus, Ohio. With over 8,500 attendees and exhibitors, three days of networking, 100-plus education sessions, and 72,000 square feet of exhibit hall and demo space, this is definitely one event that you do not want to miss. For more information or to register for free online, visit their website at www.ohiosafetycongress.com. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more episodes, check us out on your favorite podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pandora, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and more. To get new episodes sent directly to your phone or smart device, be sure to subscribe. To learn more about how your company can earn an Ohio BWC premium rebate by becoming an active member of the Portage County Safety Council, please visit our website at www.portagecountysafetycouncil.com.